You are listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast. Thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. You can always listen to the show live weekdays from 5.30 to 7 p.m. on WDEV AM and FM and streaming at WDEVradio.com. You can text in your thoughts 24-7 at 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast pace. Good at running back, good at receiver, good at tight end, better defense, elite coaching. Stop telling me the Patriots can't win. Opinionated. I don't do lists. They are worthless. Stop bringing them to me and stop getting invested in them. To the point, it might finally be time to admit I was wrong. The Red Sox are not going to finish fourth in the division. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. Brady Farkas Show on a Thursday right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Part-time Jack here. I I don't know. I don't know what to do because we had the intro for like two months where I said the Red Sox were going to finish fourth and, and not make the playoffs or whatever, and they just kept winning. So we changed it to, to the one of me saying there, oh, the Red Sox aren't going to finish in fourth. At this rate, they just might finish in fourth. I have the old intro ready to go. But we don't want to go backwards, though. So I, we... I, I, Look, man, I care more about the Red Sox than your show. No offense. <laughs> I do. I do. Red Sox are a lifelong investment. This has been like a three-month investment. So I think I'm going to go ahead and uh, maybe at the top of the hour when we come back, we play the old intro. I, I don't know what to do because when we, have the in- you know, when we have the intro of me saying... <laughs> That they stink, they keep winning. When I say that they're finally good, I finally crack and admit it. Now they've lost six of seven. So the Sox lose to the Tigers today. We'll get into that for you as well. We go up until 7 o'clock. Those Red Sox, we take your messages on it. And uh, the Sox, by the way, are now a game and a half back in the division again. We've got Thunder Road racing tonight on WDEV just after 8 o'clock. Kelsey Woodard of Waterbury is going for the Triple Crown win today in the Flying Tiger division. She's going to join us at 545. We take your text and input on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville at 802-585-3026. Jack, let go. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show were brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. As disappointing as the Red Sox have been lately and as disappointing as they were again today, losing to the under 500 Tigers and dropping a series to the Tigers, I actually want to start with the Red Sox story from much earlier in the day. You know, Red Sox, you know, part of the ownership group, Sam Kennedy, he was on WEEI in Boston today. And Jack, remember that report that came out last week that said ownership was pushing High and Bloom to go make a move for Max Scherzer. Of course. Sam Kennedy says that that report was completely false. Here's what he said on EEI today. No, it's not. I'm, I'm actually glad you raised it because I, uh, I was interested just as an uh, 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 intellectual exercise to see if uh, I could find out where that report came from because I know uh, it's not true. Uh, it was completely false. Um, and so... Sam Kennedy says it's not true that we for you know we were trying to push High and Bloom into doing that, and then he says it's completely false. I wonder if Sam Kennedy's a good poker player. Do I think that the report is false? No, I think Sam Kennedy is lying through his teeth. There, I think Red Sox ownership 
is really trying their best to have it both ways when it comes to fan perception. And in the process, they have embarrassingly made High and Bloom look really bad in my mind. Okay, Red Sox ownership wants fans to believe that they value the farm system and they value the future and that they want to create a sustainable winner, like Chaim Bloom says. But they also want fans to think that they're always in win-now mode, that they're always going for it, that they're always willing to do more, and they're always going to go big. They're trying to have the cake and eat it, too. Maybe ownership didn't expressly knock on Chaim Bloom's office door at Fenway Park and say, hey, go get Max Scherzer or else. But I do believe that Red Sox ownership leaked it to somebody that they were interested, that they were looking, that they were turning over the tire, that they desired him, that they were dreaming of the rotation with Scherzer and Sale. And you know what? Leaking the report, that, that's all well and good. Like, screwing with the fans, I can handle that. We as fans get screwed with all the time. Ownership groups manipulate fan bases all the time. I'm used to that, and you should be too. But who I really feel bad for in all of this is Chaim Bloom. Throwing him under the bus like this, this is not how you treat a guy who runs your operations department. This is not how you treat the guy who came in. Chaim Bloom came in and took the arrows for your cheapness and traded Mookie Betts, and he took all your slander for it. This is not how you treat the guy who has done thus far the pretty impossible and gotten this team to be competitive while also rebuilding last week aside. Okay, This is not what you do to him. Because when you put out in any facet that you want Max Scherzer, and then Chaim Bloom doesn't deliver you Max Scherzer, you make Chaim Bloom look like the failure. And Chaim Bloom, to me, has been nothing but a success since he got to Boston. Okay, You talk about fan perception, well... Sam Kennedy and the ownership group, they come off looking like good guys who wanted to go all in, and Bloom now looks like the guy who couldn't deliver, and that's garbage. We obviously don't know the true level of interest in Scherzer, but I believe ownership put that out there for a reason, and Sam Kennedy today says that it's a lie. I don't believe that for a second. It's all because they want to come out looking like the good guys. They sensed other teams would be buyers. They sensed the Yankees would buy. And they got nervous that they'd look bad by, you know, you know if, they got a, a, if it was perceived that they were holding, they were afraid of how that would look. So they put this out there that they wanted to take a big swing to appease the fans. But in the process of manipulating the fan base, They've made High and Bloom look horrible. And that is just, that is so piss poor from a management standpoint, as far as I can understand it. Because, look, High and Bloom has done a lot of good. And again, he took the arrows for your cheapness in trading Mookie Betts. Your screw ups in trade, you know, how you handled Mookie Betts from years prior to High and Bloom getting there. He came in, he took the arrows, he took the fan anger, he, he took it all. And he did it, and he got under the luxury tax like he wanted. He's done everything you've asked, and he's delivered a, you know, again, last week aside, he's delivered a good baseball team, and you just threw him under the bus, and that 
is ridiculous. Well, that's just cap because what was cap is 20? by the way cap is Jack's word. Like if you're not 21, you wouldn't know this. Cap is Jack's word for baloney. Yeah, that's that is cap because Heim delivered a 2020 baseball team that was able to pick fourth in the MLB draft. So not always a great baseball team from Heim Bloom. And uh, quite frankly, I, I cannot I cannot sit here. And think that none of this, that, that, that Heim is going to shoulder the blame. Because he does have to take some responsibility here. It is his philosophy of saying, we want to win now and we want to win for the future. He wants to have it both ways. I've been saying for weeks on this show, you can't have it both ways. So, it so, hasn't been done. So, okay, you're mad at High and Bloom. I guess that's one discussion here. But So you don't think that ownership made him look bad? I do you think? Oh, I 100% think ownership made him look bad. I agree with you. I think ownership leaked the report, and I do not think they went to Heim Bloom and said, "Go get Scherzer." I think that's okay. complete baloney. However, I do feel as if if ownership said that because someone in ownership definitely said that said we want to go get Scherzer. Whether it was to Heim Bloom, whether it was to the media, they said we want to go get Scherzer. That whether if they said it to the media, that was the way to put pressure on Heim without going directly to his face, which, if you ask me, is a weak, weak sauce move from the organization yeah. that I have loved since I was born. And now they're out here with their hand down their pants, dropping two out of three to the Tigers and, and, and dropping two out of four to Toronto and getting swept by Tampa Bay. That falls on Heim for not going out and getting the guy that was going to help them win now. He, he didn't get the guy that was going to help him win now. You are kind of zigging and zagging here, though. So you agree with me, ownership is in the wrong here. Yeah. They have made Hyam the Bloom look bad. But also you think that Hyam Bloom made himself look bad by what he did or didn't do at the trade deadline. Yeah, he didn't okay. help himself look, by not going and getting somebody. Sam, Sam Kennedy also addressed the idea that the team stood pat on WEEI. Yeah, I just disagree with the premise that we're standing pat when you when you add Kyle Schwarber uh, and you bring in two um, pieces in the bullpen, right-handed, left-handed. I just disagree with the premise that we're standing pat. Okay. On this one, I'm actually on Sam Kennedy's side. I don't think the, st- the team stood pat. But I just think there weren't a lot of deals out there to be made for this team, okay? Again, the most exciting trade deadline of my life. I've praised High and Bloom for threading the needle between being competitive and rebuilding, but there does come a point where those two ideologies collide, and this was it. The trade deadline was it. Okay, the Blue Jays are coming out of their rebuild. The White Sox are coming out of their rebuild. The Padres are coming out of their rebuild. Those teams, they have the prospects to spend. The Red Sox don't. Other teams, as you saw, are going into rebuilds, and they want to accelerate it as quick as possible. The Nationals wanted prospects. The Cubs wanted prospects. So they went to places that had them in spades, and the Red Sox don't. So I'm with Sam Kennedy. I don't think you saw the Red Sox stand packed. Obviously, they added three pieces. We can debate the impact of those three pieces, but they added three pieces. So they didn't stand packed. But I do think you saw the Red Sox at the trade deadline playing with one hand tied behind their backs, okay? It became such a seller's market. And Hyam Bloom knows, and he's disciplined enough to know, that his team is not in an organization, is not in a state to compete in a seller's market. It would have been stupid to try to do so. Think about this in real-life terms, Jack. You are not in a position to be buying a house. But think about this in real-life terms. A lot of people want to buy a house right now. Let's just say those people have a $250,000 budget. 
Well, the market is crazy right now. A house that should cost $250,000 is now going for $400,000. And at that point, you got three choices. You can stay, Pat. I'm going to stay in my current place. I'm going to stay in my apartment and do nothing. Okay, that's one choice. The Red Sox didn't do that. They did make some upgrades, some moves. You can pay the $400,000 for a $250,000 house, and the Red Sox can go and give up all of their prospects for somebody who's a rental player like Scherzer, which would be stupid. And you would say, if I spent four hundred grand on a $250,000 house, you would call me a moron. And then you could do what the Red Sox did. Hold on, to your, hold on to your money, stay in your current house, but spend a smaller portion of that money and do some touch-ups. Okay, we're not getting a new house, we're not moving, but we're going to fix things up around the current one. We're going to put in a new patio, we're going to fix up our bathroom, we're going to change our kitchen. That is what the Red Sox did. This is what the market was, and the Red Sox response is, is all that they could do. They, they were never going to have the prospects to make the moves that the Padres, White Sox, uh, Dodgers, Blue Jays made. They never had those prospects. And they also didn't have the volume of prospects to overwhelm a seller like the Nationals. They, they, they were stuck from the beginning. Again, High and Bloom has done an amazing job at getting this team competitive while also rebuilding. This is where... The rubber met the road. The intersection here was too difficult. He couldn't do much more than he did. Outside of the Mookie Betts trade, what rebuilding has Heim done that makes you feel like this team is set up for success and down the line? Well, trading Andrew Benatendi and getting multiple prospects. I mean, that's one move that he made right there off the top of my head. He's made other moves. I mean, he went and got Garrett Whitlock off the scrap heap, who's going to be under team control for six years, and who I think has a pretty decent future with this team, either as a bullpen arm or as a starter. So there are moves that High and Bloom has made, and there are long-term controllable assets to this team. So they, they're, The Sox are trying to have it two ways. They can't. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Remember, you can subscribe to the show always on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. We get out of Red Sox mode for a minute here, and, well, for a few minutes, because we all need to calm down a bit. And we remind ourselves that there's Thunder Road Racing tonight, and we've got it for you on WDEV. The Triple Crown will be awarded in the Flying Tiger Division, and Waterbury's Kelsey Woodard is in the running for that Triple Crown. How would she feel to be the first woman to ever win the Triple Crown? We'll ask Kelsey Woodard next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show right here on a Thursday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Busy day of sports here on WDEV. Red Sox baseball earlier today against the Tigers, and tonight we've got racing from Thunder Road, the nation's site of excitement, and it's a... Very exciting night in the Flying Tigers division where it is the third of the Triple Crown races for the year. And joining us now is someone who's in the hunt for that Triple Crown championship. It's Kelsey Woodard of Waterbury Center. So, Kelsey, thanks for being with us. How are you? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Good. Appreciate you joining us. A lot of excitement around the racing tonight over at Thunder Road. And, you know, you've got a chance tonight to become the first woman to ever win the Triple Crown. Have you thought about that? Is that something that means something to you? Yeah, it means a lot, actually. I would definitely, I would go down in the history, that's for sure, because as of right now, I'm the only full-time female racer in the Tiger division. Um, so that would be really special for myself, my team, my family to win this, win the race, win anything, honestly, because 
there's been no female winner at all in the Tigers. So was it was it challenging in any way to be a female race fan or a female driver coming up? Or you know, you have a family history in racing, so did that make it easier, or was it? Did it have challenges? Um, honestly, there really haven't been any challenges. I'm not treated any differently than, you know, say any other driver out there. Um, once you're in the car on the racetrack, you're the same as everybody else. You know, you're, you're a racer. It doesn't matter if you're boy, girl, you know, whatever. Again, your family big in racing. Your brother races. He's a rookie this year. Your dad's a multi-time champion in the Flying Tigers. What's that dynamic like having your whole family being in racing and specifically your dad? How about his influence? Um, sometimes it's actually very challenging um, <laughs> to keep just all the cars going, but there's also benefits to it. Um, you know, my dad's really successful and he's been doing it a long time. So, you know, we'll all go out and practice and I'll think that my car is doing something, but... I also want to hear what he's saying because maybe I might be wrong. Um, but usually, you know, just that feedback from him helps to helps me to adjust my car to the track, basically. You know, it's very cliche when someone is in the family business. We have this picture that they were following them around and just instantly developed a love for what their parents loved at a very early age. I read something you didn't love racing initially, and it wasn't something that you were into at first. No, um, actually, <laughs> I actually used to be very, very shy. Um, <laughs> I didn't talk to anybody, really. Um, and then about probably 13 or so, I started really to get into the racing scene. Um, you know, my dad was racing, and... I started going out to the shop more and learning more about the car, and I was like, man, I actually really do like this. And then I started going in the pits, um, helping out there, and I was like, wow, I really want to, I think I want to take my try at this. And it just took off from there, and I haven't looked back since. Your first, I don't know if it was a race or a practice session, didn't you go out to New Hampshire, though, and not have a very good experience? Yes. Um, <laughs> I went to i had a kid's truck um i learned how to drive standard literally the day before we went to the racetrack um <laughs> and we went to white mountain um in north woodstock new hampshire we were going to race with the kids trucks i went out for my first practice and i went to go from second to third gear and i went from second to fourth and the truck was like jumping around and all this stuff and I didn't know what was wrong I just like stopped and I was like I'm never doing this again <laughs> um so we didn't go back that summer but we went back the year after and all was well <laughs> <laughs> well and all may be well tonight again you've got a chance to win the triple crown tonight over at the uh, flying tires tiger division over at thunder road we are talking with Kelsey Woodard of Waterbury Center right here on the Brady Farkas show on WDEV you, your dad, and your brother all have a chance tonight to win the Triple Crown race. What are those dinner table conversations like right now at home? Oh, my dad would love for one of us kids to win. He, um, that's actually his goal is for, he, you know, he's kind of handing over the reins to us um, a bit, and he would much rather us win than him win. <laughs> 
you know, someone told me that the Triple Crown is nearly as prestigious as the overall season championship. Do you see it that way, too? For sure. Um, the top eight in the points are, like, within 12. So, you know, anybody could win it. Um, I think that we have a long-distance car, and not everybody does. So I do think we're going to do well. Um, I have a great team backing me up, a great car, and I think if we can just stay focused all night, um, I think we'll do all right. You know, you've won Most Improved Racer before. You've had a, a good building career. Um, Nick Mumley of the Inside Groove is someone who I talk with a lot, and he told me that, uh, you know, you've been steadily kind of building over the last couple of years to get to the point where you're really in this contention. You have yet to win a singular race, though. Have you allowed yourself to envision what that moment will be like whenever it comes? Um, oh, my gosh. I would probably cry, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> it's... Um, a long time coming, that's for sure. I've not won anything. I've won a couple heat races, you know, but the problem is I just and I'm very consistent, you you know, normally. Um so like I never have that chance to start, you know, oh so far in the front or I'm usually middle to the back of the pack. So by the time forty laps comes, it's like Man, I'm fifth or, you know, whatever. Um, but the triple crown, the 75 laps is, um, plus minus to get your starting position. So the more cars you pass in your heat race, the farther up you're going to start in the race. Yeah. Um, so I usually do well with that. I usually start towards the front. So I'm hoping <laughs> to win the race and to win the overall. You know, the Flying Tigers is a unique division because it's this mix of, you know, younger people who are looking to move up maybe to the late models and a mix of veterans who have just been in the Flying Tigers for a while. So um, what is that dynamic where, you know, again, it's just a wide range of experiences that you're up against on a weekly basis? Yeah, um, I would say that the Tiger division is the most competitive division right now. Um, at Thunder Road, more competitive than the late malls on it sometimes. Um, just because there's so many cars, they're all so equal. Like our rules package is very laid out for us. Um, so everybody's like on the same playing field, no matter, no matter what. Um, with the late models though, like, you know, money can really dictate whether you're well or not, you know. Yeah. Um, parts wise team um but the tigers you know they require less um work and preparation in the shop um so you you can really make up driving wise in a tiger than you can in a late model um so what's your goal ultimately do you want to go to the late models or do you like where you're at I like where I'm at. Um, I'm in school right now for dental hygiene, so I'm kind of like. That's a in, lot to balance. <laughs> you know, yeah. So um, I'm going to stay where I'm at. Um, my brother, though, he will probably at some point not, you know, for a couple of years. But he'll probably be in a late model at some time. Um, but I'll probably stay where I'm at.
Kelsey Woodard joining us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Thunder Road tonight, we've got it for you about 8.30 right here on your racing station. And Kelsey Woodard has a chance to win the Triple Crown tonight in the Flying Tigers. Um, a couple of off-the-beaten-path questions. To be a good driver, you got to be pretty aggressive knowing to pick your spots. How do you turn that off when you're on the civilian roadways? <laughs> um, actually... Actually, I don't do that. Time, I had the, I would be driving down the interstate and I would literally just feel like I needed to pass people, like <laughs> just pass them. Um, so now I drive with cruise control so that, <laughs> on the interstate um, yeah. so that I just don't get pulled over. But luckily enough, I've never been pulled over. <laughs> Well, you know, I am relatively new to WDEV. I've been here about nine months. I bring my lunch most days, don't get out a lot. But when I do eat out in Waterbury, I always find myself at Casey's Bagels because it's right next door. I need a new lunch spot. So as somebody who is from Waterbury, tell me another place that I could eat that's not Casey's Bagels because they now know my order there permanently and I need to expand my horizons a bit. Oh, lunch spot. I really like Miguel Cuddy's. I know it's kind of like a restaurant-y thing, but I really like that place. Um, or lunch spot in Waterbury. Yeah, or Waterbury-ish, somewhere that's not too far away from work. All right. Um, <laughs> um or actually the apple core by the cider mill. They make really good sandwiches. Okay, there you go. So I've heard good things about Cold Hollow, Cider Mill, et cetera. So yeah. uh, that's, that, that might be the next spot for me to uh, have to hit up. So Kelsey Woodard, tonight we will uh, be following along with you right here on WDEV. Good luck to you in the Triple Crown finale, and uh, we'll see if that first win comes your way tonight. So good luck. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Absolutely. There goes Kelsey Woodard. Again, looking for the Triple Crown win, and we will have it for you here on WDEV just after 8 o'clock. And uh, Kelsey is uh, comes from a long history of drivers at Thunder Road, and the guy who knows the history of Thunder Road better than anybody has called in on the phone line. Our very own owner, Ken Squire, our fearless leader, is on with us now. Ken, we got about 90 seconds before the CBS News update. Good interview with Kelsey. You excited for racing tonight? Yeah, Kelsey is, I think, pretty special. He's got 19 years old, and, and right on the top, high. Yes, she. 24 points for three different drivers. Yeah, she is uh, excellent. Uh, you looking forward to tonight? In the uh, we got the triple crown, and we got the late models as well. Yeah, but this is. You see, those tigers are a bunch of older cats for the most part. This is a young lady that reminds me a lot of Tracy Bellrose from over in Berlin, New Hampshire. Used to be the number two car. Greatest yeah. line I ever heard at Thunder Road was hers. She uh, won on the night when it had rained a lot. There wasn't any kind of bite in the tires. It just weren't working. So she went out and proceeded from 14th spot to win the main event. And I mean, she was flying. <laughs> and that, that's it. always look for another, and maybe Kelsey Woodard is it. Well, she would be I the... To, oh, go ahead. I, I talked to Tracy after that when it was over years ago. I said, what got into you tonight? Holy smokes. Nobody was getting a bite and going up the outside, and you did it all night. 
She said, Ken, I don't know what was wrong with them boys. I was the only one out there tonight that had any balls. <laughs> wow. A great story. <laughs> a great story. And Kelsey Woodard could become the first woman tonight to ever win the Triple Crown in the Flying Tigers. Ken Squire, Ken, enjoy the races tonight. And uh, I'm sure we'll be breaking them down with you again real soon. Soon. Thank you. <laughs> All right. There goes our very own Ken Squire. Part-time Jack. It's going to be the 10-second legal ID here on WDEV, and then we'll come right back with more on the Brady Farkas Show. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on a Thursday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. I want to thank Kelsey Woodard from the Flying Tigers Division over at Thunder Road for joining us. And then our very own Ken Squire for calling in with some Thunder Road memories and perspective. And we will have Thunder Road Racing tonight with our very own Lee Cattell on site just after 8 o'clock. And they have added the Road Warriors to the schedule tonight at the nation's site of excitement. Part-time Jack and I are here. We want to move over to the Patriots now, Jack, because obviously... What, for football? Uh, at this point, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're, you're giving up on the Red Sox that oh, much. You're ready for Patriots football now? Yeah. I'm ready for both of them in concert deep into October. Um, in non-quarterback news, because we all know that the quarterback battle or the quarterback storyline is the storyline of training camp of the preseason, but in non-quarterback news, the forgotten man... Wide receiver Nikhil Harry, he is becoming the story of Patriots camp. It's not Stephon Gilmore and his contract. It's not the return of Dante Hightower. It's not even the additions of Jonu Smith, Hunter Henry, etc. The non-quarterback story of Patriots camp is the play of Nikhil Harry. Okay, He asked for a trade this summer, and he was universally crushed, him and his agent both, for doing that. He is having a great camp thus far. And I don't have the official stats on today, but yesterday he had five catches from Mac Jones. He had one from Cam Newton. The quarterbacks were perfect when throwing his way. I mean, he's he's showing off a lot of the things that made him a first-round draft pick just a couple of years ago. And I know that it's been mostly in, in unpadded practices and guys with just general athleticism are always going to show out in shorts. I'm aware of that and conscious of that. But the traits that he's putting out there and the things that he's putting on display have to have Patriots fans excited. They have his coaching staff excited. Former Pats wide receiver Troy Brown, who's on the coaching staff, spoke today about Harry and his progress. I think all of our guys have gotten more comfortable, but, you know, uh, I mean, Nikhil, he, he came into camp with a great attitude. They're ready to go in shape and, uh, you know, and, and he's out here just like the rest of the guys in the group. He's fighting for a spot, and, you know, he's done everything so far that we asked him to do. Harry having this good of a camp and hopefully this good of a preseason is 100% beneficial for the Patriots. Again, showing off the athleticism. He's been out leaping people for balls. He's showing off a very big catch radius. If he can make this team as the fourth wide receiver, I think there's huge benefit there to the Patriots. And if somebody were to get hurt, Aguilar, Bourne, or Jacoby Myers, the guys ahead of him, he could step into a top three role. Um, again, I think he's behind those three, but I think he could be a good fourth option for this team at wide receiver. So, it's good for the Patriots in terms of their on-field 
depth and numbers and the, the amount of playmakers and overall athleticism because this team last year lacked a lot of athleticism. So if Harry is there and can be on the field and you can trust that he'll play well, he helps the Patriots. But also, if it goes the other way and they want to trade Harry, well, this good camp and subsequently a good preseason could help him reestablish his value on the trade market. So no matter how you slice this, Harry having you know this level of excitement around him is a good thing. Either he helps the Pats or he helps the Pats in terms of the trade market. Now they can get something back for him. I don't want to give up on Harry because he's clearly a first-round body type and he's got three years potentially left on his contract, including this one. I don't want to give up on him. But, again, he helps the team or he helps the team in terms of trade value being reestablished. So either way, this is good. Okay, but essentially, when he requested a trade, it was all about he didn't like how he was being used. And, you know, it may have been a little injury-related. But do you really think he's going to be okay being the fourth guy on your list, the fourth guy on Brady's list? <sighs> That's a good question because you are right. You know, you are right. His trade request didn't like how he was being used. And he was it's not so much that he didn't play. He started. He has started most of the games that he's been healthy for. It's just that, you know, when in his rookie year, when Tom Brady came in, Brady doesn't do much with rookies. Brady is not a rookie guy. Brady is a proven veteran guy. It's why he wanted Antonio Brown. It's why he wanted Josh Gordon. So Brady didn't really have much time for him. And then last year, you know, with Cam, we saw what the passing offense was. It wasn't that Harry wasn't playing. It was that they couldn't get anybody the football last year was their main problem. So, you know, I think Harry's a little off to say he's not being used. It's just, you know, he's had some difficult circumstances to overcome. But your question rings true. If Harry was mad at his role in the past, would he be okay being the fourth wide receiver? I, I don't know. Fr frankly, I don't know. I want to tell you I have the answers. I don't have this answer. In my in my offense, he'd be the fourth wide receiver on a team that is run heavy and has two good tight ends. So he'd be way down on the option list to me. Um, if he is the fourth wide receiver, I probably don't see him getting more than 35 catches this year. Like Whoever the fourth wide receiver is, I don't think they get more than 35 catches. But again, for me... I'm all for having athletic players. I'm all for having multiple years of team control. I'm all for having good bodies. And I like having depth. But the, if he is going to be the fourth wide receiver, I, I don't know if it's worth having him around for that kind of role. You'd have to get, you'd have to get a real buy-in from Harry. And you'd have to be assured that he'd be a team guy. Because if he's a team guy, then he'll be okay with being the fourth wide receiver. And knowing that somebody is going to get injured... And he's going to ascend at some point as long as he's healthy. You have to get that buy-in. But if he's out here solely looking out for himself in an individual role, and if you think he'll be a bad locker room guy, then at that rate, I probably would look to trade him. But I'd, I'd feel bad about it considering what I'd be giving up potentially, yeah. Well, the Pats have always been a really good three-wide receiver set offense, including a, a, a running back and then a tight end, right? For years it was Edelman, Amendola, Hogan, Cooks whoever it might be, right? And now this year we could see it be Aguilar, Bourne, and Jacoby Myers. I think um, I think potentially, or one of, one, oh, sorry, Bourne I think might be the odd man out. Jacoby Myers, Nelson Aguilar, Nikhil Harry. Three wide receivers, two tight end, James White in the backfield as their primary 
pass catching back. Yeah, I do think, you see that as the potential offense? Like, no, you, like your dream. Like as I, I think the Patriots are gonna dream, dream scenario. I think the Patriots are gonna play a lot of two tight end sets, two wide receivers, and one back. Okay. I mean, I think they're gonna be a lot of two tight ends, Damian Harris in the backfield, and two wide receivers split out wide, and that they are going to play bully ball. They're gonna run the ball first. They're gonna run the ball with Cam, and they're gonna run. They're going to pass rather off play action, which is predicated on the threat of their run game. So I don't think that they're in many, I certainly don't think they're in many four wide receiver sets. They're going to be no. forced into three wide receiver sets because everybody is, and it'll be second and nine, and it'll be third and 11. So, I mean, they'll play out of three wide. If Harry is not number three, I don't think that he'll have a huge role until somebody gets hurt. And somebody will get hurt. I mean, we've seen Edelman's been hurt, and we've seen. Uh, um, uh, Muhammad Sanu was hurt, you know, banged up. So guys yeah, are going injury, to yeah. get hurt. So I think Harry's going to have a chance. I just don't think he's going to have a chance right away if everybody's healthy. How increased do you feel his trade value has gotten with a good training camp? None right now. I mean, I think right now, without pads, mostly without preseason games, without joint practices where other teams have really seen him, Basically, what we have right now is a lot of internal hype. I think that internal hype does better for the Patriots than it does for other teams. But once other teams start seeing him in action, if he comes out in the preseason and you know plays an entire first half and has six catches for 85 yards, I think that absolutely will help. I mean, guys go nuts for preseason numbers from a scouting perspective, and guys go nuts for preseason tape, but they'll need to see it on tape before it interests the whole league. I think... Right now, it interests the Patriots and it benefits the Pats. The whole league, though, I think takes notice um, you know, when he starts doing it, when there's film there. Bill Belichick said that he and Harry are in a pretty good place, Jack. Remember, Harry requested the trade this summer. It came through his agent. Again, we all crushed Harry for that. Um, Belichick said that they talked. Let's hear what Belichick had to say earlier this week. Yeah, McKeel's in good condition. It's working hard and just, again, keep, keep taking it day by day. And, you know, as the competition unfolds, see how things stack up uh, everywhere, not just with him, but, you know, all the way across the board. So it's the same for everybody. 802-585-3026, Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. Bill Belichick, Nikhil Harry talked. How do we think that conversation went? What do we think was said in that conversation? Um, Harry has says, "Can I do my best, Bill Belichick?" Hold on. Harry has said he's more than okay being a Patriot. Belichick, who never talks about personnel at all, says that they're in a good spot. How do we think that conversation went? I think it went like Bill Belichick sitting there, hoodie up. We want you on this team. We think that you're a value asset, a valuable asset, and we want to get you the football. And Nikhil Harry has to sit there and be like, "Yep, thank you. I'll be there." Because he has no leverage. Yes, as shown. He, Harry has to say the right things yeah. at this point. If he he showed up, doesn't want to get fined. He showed up. He has to play hard again to help his status one way or the other. Either help his status with the Pats or help him play well enough to catch other eyes and get out of town. Exactly. So he's got to say and do the right things. I think Belichick probably told him that whatever happened with his agent this summer, his agent's request, that that is with his agent. And that while Harry is here, he needs to be focused on doing his job and doing the best he can to grow and develop. And I would hope that there's a bit of a teaching moment there between Bill Belichick and a young player where he says, look, if you grow and develop, 
that's only going to help you positively. Okay, whether that's here or whether that's somebody else, you growing and developing and having a good attitude, that will only help you in your career because you're either going to do it here or you're going to do it somebody else, but you've got to first show that you can grow and develop. I bet Belichick didn't say it as nicely as that. I bet he didn't articulate it as nicely as that. He was probably a lot more monotone as that, but the message needs to simply be, look, your agent is your agent. Your agent is acting on your behalf. I get it. But now... This is you and me, and this is not about your agent. So while you are here, you need to bust your tail, you need to get better, you need to work hard. And at the, if you do that, at the end of all of this, something positive is going to happen for you. That's got to be the way that he gets Harry to buy in. I think Bill gave him the tough love. I really do. I mean, he's probably been giving him the tough love for two years. Oh, that's probably how we ended up in this position. I think though. he continued to give him the tough love with a little bit of sympathy. Sure, he maybe he maybe threw a little sugar on there for for his guy Nikhil Harry. I mean, at the end of the day, Bill picked Nikhil Harry over DK Metcalf, right? He picked him it. over Terry McLaurin, yeah. DK Metcalf. He picked him over AJ everybody. Brown, right? AJ Brown. He picked him over every receiver in that draft, I mean, not named Hollywood Brown. This is Bill's guy. I, like so, Bill has to have a little bit of a little bit of point. sympathy for him, and and I do, but I also think you know if Bill picked him, Bill's got to believe in him, and he's got to build this guy up to be the the first round pick. You're right, he's got the body, he's got the intangibles, he got everything that you would want in a first round receiver. But on the field, it's just it hasn't happened for him. The cards just haven't been there. You know, I, I've been a guy who has criticized Josh McDaniels a lot over the last couple of years. I do think McDaniels, you know, did some good things last year, especially towards the end of the season. I think that he got pretty creative with the Pats on offense. I really hope that if Harry is on the field. McDaniels does a better job at getting him the ball in space. Now, well, he's done a little bit of that. One of the best things about Nikhil Harry is his overall athleticism. Speed. Yeah, but overall athleticism. Now, we're seeing it now at camp, but Harry has not been a guy who's been able to just go one-on-one and win a one-on-one matchup and, and you know, play leap ball. That has He's doing that in camp, but he yeah. hasn't done that over the last two years. Be like a Megatron almost. I want to see them get him the ball in space, whether it's end arounds, reverses, wide receiver screens. That's going to kind of behoove everybody. Cam is not a quarterback who I think can sit back there for eight seconds, pat, 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 and then go throw. I think Cam needs to get the ball out of his hands quick, too. So get him a wide receiver screen. Get him something where he's coming around and pitch it to him. Give him a shovel pass, but let him use his athleticism so it's not solely him having to just outrun people and try to just go beat one-on-one coverage. Because so far, that hasn't been his strength. Maybe it will become that. He's worked with, you know, I think he's worked with speed coaches, and, and he's worked on the, you know, getting in and out of his breaks, and maybe it all comes to fruition for him. But I want to see Josh McDaniels get him the ball in space. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Red Sox lose to the Tigers today, 8-1. to one. We had it here on DEV. As a result, the Sox have dropped six of their last seven. They're now a game and a half back in the American League East race. And, Jack, the story of this game, again, was the Red Sox pitching staff, particularly the starting rotation. Martin Perez failed to get out of the second inning, and Robbie Grossman did this to lead off the game. I've got it. Don't worry. Swing and a high drive in the deep left field. It is way back, and it is gone. An awful start for Perez and the Red Sox. Big fly for Grossman, and just like that, it's one nothing Tigers. Martin Perez was bad. Garrett Richards has been bad. Erod was 
good results-wise yesterday, but he still kind of labored to get through five innings. He had ten strikeouts, but he had four walks also. The pitching staff remains a problem. Perez fails to get out of the second inning. Listen to these numbers. You're a big analytics guy. Martin Perez, at, at some point during the second inning, had already given up five balls of 95 miles an hour or more. He had given up in, in the, by, in th- not even through two full innings, had given up five balls hit at 95 miles an hour or more. That's what we call a hard hit ball. Yep. Over his last 10 games, 45% of all baseballs hit off Martin Perez are hard hit balls. 45% of every ball put in play is hit 95 miles an hour or more. Martin Perez is cooked right now. And Brian Barrett, who sometimes does the uh, Red Sox pregame show in lieu of Mutt, says that it's unfair now to the rest of the Red Sox to leave Martin Perez out there in the rotation because he can't compete. I, I don't know that I'm willing to be that strong on it. Okay, I don't know that it's unfair to the rest of the team to let him compete, period. But I do think that the Red Sox players look down in the bullpen and they see Tanner Houck and they see Garrett Whitlock in the bullpen and they wonder why there can't be a change made. I think they like Martin Perez. He's got a lot of service time and that goes a long way in a clubhouse. Perez being on the roster, Perez being in the bullpen, Perez being a mop-up guy, I think players would champion that. So I don't think it's unfair to them to have him on the roster. But I do think they look at Tanner Houck and they look at Whitlock and they wonder, why are we not doing something different here? Um, Whitlock hasn't been a starter all year. I get why you can't just plug and play him into the rotation. But, I mean, Houck is the guy for me, and I think the team is wondering why is Houck not here, and they're certainly counting down until Sale comes back. He's in Detroit. Houck has traveled with the team. He just wasn't on the Major League roster. My starting five for Boston to come stretch time, Erod, Eovaldi, Sale, Houck, Pavetta. Richards is the odd man out. He goes to the bullpen, uh, and and then Martin Perez, he's got to go. Yeah, see, but they can't just cut or DFA Richards or or Perez at this point, okay? Because what if somebody gets injured? Okay, remember, we talked about this. There's, there's no August trade deadline. There's no August waiver deadline. Outside of Seabold, there's not a lot of help in the minors. So you do, you do need bodies, okay? In case guys get hurt, you do need bodies. You can't just get rid of guys. So I think Perez and Richards both need to stay, and you got to kind of figure out other guys to get rid of, like Yaxel Rios and Philip Valdez. Those, those two guys have been great, though. Those two guys would probably be gone for me at first chance, and you know Perez and and Richards would go to the pen. They can't go to the pen yet, though, Jack, because um, you got double headers. You got double header Saturday, so you need an extra starter. You got another double header coming up on August seventeenth against the Yankees, so you need more guys in the rotation. And you're not quite sure what Sale can give you at this point as a guarantee. So you can't just cut guys. You do need these guys there with the ability to start. But once Sale's back for good and once Hauk is back for good, I'm with you. Those should be the starters. Yep. But Perez and, and Richards I don't think can just go away like we'd want them to because there's not an option really to replace them like there might have been at the August deadline of the past. Okay, hear me out, though. Those doubleheaders are all seven inning games, which means that you can shorten the time that your starters go out there, which would be perfect ideally for Perez and Richards. But in those seven inning games, instead of using those guys that you just know, like we were looking off the air at Richards' numbers 
first time through the order, guy's getting lit, you know. Once he gets over, once he gets over 75 pitches, that's where he's at his best. That's ironic. But seven inning game, you shorten those games. What if you give Seabold a start? What if you call up Josh Winkowski, the prize trade piece from the Andrew Benintendi? Hasn't he only been at Double A? At Double A, man, I would rather have a guy who nobody has seen before pitching in September than a guy who's given up 95-plus mile-hour yeah. balls five times before the second inning. No, to I'm not doing to that. To a bum Tigers team, too. What, what I'm more inclined to do, it won't happen this week because Hauk's going to pitch, but in that Yankees doubleheader, if I can line it up, I'm more inclined to give Sale the seven-inning start. That would make sense. Knowing too. that, you know, he may be only good for four or five. Like, obviously, we, we, we want seven from him, but... If he's only good for three, four, five pitch count gets elevated, maybe he's getting hit a little bit, I'd be more likely to let him throw a doubleheader game. If he can give me five, then I can go right to Adovino and Barnes. And if he only gives me if he only gives me two or only gives me three, well then it's still you know only four or five innings I have to cover four rather than having to do that in a nine inning game. So uh, it's the Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. I, I was going to do who's saying what. I'm not going to go way into it. I but, was so ready for it. But you were talking about how ready you were for Patriots football. Can you believe there's preseason football tonight? We got we got the Hall of Fame game. We got the Hall of Fame game tonight between the Cowboys and the uh, and the Steelers. And Dak mm-hmm. Prescott's not going to play. He's got that shoulder injury right now, and he's sitting out and taking it slow. But there's preseason. This will be the last week we don't like. We have football now every week between now and. You know, middle of February. I, I, are you going to watch any of this? No, absolutely not. Uh, because you're not into any preseason football, no, or you're I, just I think, protesting that it, that football's starting right I now. I think it. No, okay. First of all, dog days of summer. Major League Baseball owns my schedule. Second of all, yeah, preseason football is garbage. I think there's only one preseason worth watching in out of four professional sports, and it's NBA. I don't even think baseball is that great. In, in football, it's like. Every preseason game is you get your starters for one quarter, and then it's a bunch of seventh rounders, undrafted rookie free agents that you've never heard of that were that played on you know Division One Double A rosters. Yeah, see, I I'm in the minority. I actually like the preseason in football. I, I can't. I'm I not can't saying. Get I'm not saying I want to watch it all. I will watch all three Patriots preseason games in full, and we will talk about there's what we've four? seen. No, there's only three this year. They changed it. Huh? So they, to add the 17th regular season yeah, game, they, had to take, they took one so from the preseason. So I apologize to the listeners out there. Um, is the Super Bowl pushed back a week? The Super Bowl is pushed back a week, like more towards Valentine's Day. Okay. So um, I will watch all the Patriots preseason games, and I will take detailed notes during those games. I, I think the, the preseason is valuable. Don't don't look into it. You're gonna you're it, gonna overanalyze. But I don't. Bell- the preseason for the Patriots is September. Come on, I don't everybody think knows that the preseason is all that entertaining. But I enjoy watching it and learning and seeing how new teammates react and how new draft picks are. And I understand it's not always valuable for the starters, but I really do value it for roster battles and see what's, seeing what's happening, and I value it for seeing what rookies can do. And I also like seeing guys who were, to your point, drafted you know, late getting a chance to play because every year in the Patriots we see a guy like that who makes an impact. Jacoby Myers is an undrafted player who came through a great preseason. J.C. Jackson, an undrafted player who came through a great preseason. J.J. Taylor, I sure. mean, we see this every single year where a guy busts through the preseason that we weren't expecting, and I like 
watching who that guy is and seeing who those guys are. I also th- I will say this. The Patriots have joint practices this year. I think they've got them with the Eagles and with Washington. The joint practices also now are becoming a thing that matters. Like in addition oh, yeah. to the preseason games, the joint practices done in a more controlled environment are something that matters too. So you're going to start hearing things about those joint practices that matter. And it's not going to completely supersede the preseason, but there's going to be things that are important happening that we're not necessarily going to see. Um, i got to watch the Olympics tonight, too. We're right? coming down to the yeah, end here that, of the Olympics. That's, so. that, 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 that's more important. Gold medals are going to be handed out tonight, and NFL wants to play, have their Hall of Fame game. I have beef with the Hall of Fame game. Can I, I will, get into this? Uh, no, we don't have time. No. You want the Hall of Fame game played in the season, which uh, I yes. think is ludicrous. No, it's not ludicrous. Brady, come on, man. You're smarter than that. You Let's... want the Hall of Fame game played... Like week one. Yes, 100%. First Sunday night football game of the year. Yes, first Sunday night football game of the year. You get the best quality football because all the stars are going to be there. You get get the primetime action. I don't care if it takes a home game away because home games are taken away all the time for these neutral site games in London and Mexico. Yeah, I'm not into taking away a home game of week one. I'm just not. Uh, that, okay, well, you there's know, a reason no why we Brady. don't see the international. There's a reason why we don't see the international games until like week seven or above or whatever. Hashtag bummer Brady. No, I don't want to. No, the Hall of Fame game is fine with what it is. It's, okay, no, it's terrible. It, the Hall of Fame game is fine it with what it better. is. Better. I don't. Better. I, I don't care about it. You're right, but I'm not going to care more about it in week one. The people who are there might care more about it. If it's in week one, I I know I'll watch a little bit of it to say that I did. Who's the Cowboys quarterback? The backup. Who's the backup? Brett DiNucci still, I hope. Ben DiNucci. Come on. Ben DiNucci. That was pretty good that I pulled that out, though. So um, is Landry Jones still the backup for the Steelers? I I don't know. I is thought Charlie Batch still playing? I thought it was Mason. Oh, Rudolph. Mason Rudolph. Yeah, it might be Mason Rudolph. <laughs> Charlie Batch is long retired. So that was a joke, people. Um, yeah, I'll watch a little bit of preseason football. Watch Major League Baseball tonight, although we don't have the Sox, so I'll watch the Yankees a bit and see what they're up to tonight. And uh, Tampa, follow follow along with them. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be mostly Olympics today. Speaking of the Olympics, one international Olympian said he'd rather win a gold medal than a pro league championship. Now, I'm fine with that. But if one of our own said it, I think it would bother me. Does that make me the world's worst hypocrite? That's next on the Brady Parker Show on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Parker Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back again, Brady Parker Show, right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. I was up early today. I was actually up late last night and up early this morning watching Olympic basketball. Jack and I talk about the Olympics here. And I watched part of Team USA last night on the men's side beating Australia. So Team USA will play for the gold medal. And they're going to take on France. So France played Slovenia today early morning, started at 7 a.m. Eastern time. France wins the game 90-89 to on a last-second block. Slovenia is going for the win. Nicholas Batum of France, NBA player, blocks it. So France will face off with Team USA in the Olympic final. And that'll be uh, tomorrow night at 10.30 p.m. So Luka Doncic of the Dallas Mavericks plays for Slovenia. And he was completely gutted that his team lost, his country lost by a point. And, Jack, I've been sitting on this topic for like a month. I have a show sheet that every day I kind of edit and add to. Mm -hmm. And I've had this topic on the bottom of it for one month. And this was finally the day 
to bring it out. But long before the Olympics started, like a month ago, Luka Doncic was asked a question. Um, would he rather win an Olympic gold medal or an NBA title? Here's what Luka had to say. Do we not have that? I, I don't. Oh, we do. Uh, I would say gold medal with Slovenia. It's you play for your country, and that's something that really, really. But I wouldn't mind both. So he says he wouldn't mind both, but he thinks that a gold medal would mean more to him. And based on what we saw today and how dejected he was, it certainly seems evident that he really does believe that. And by the way, from the from the journalist who asked, I mean, a completely unfair question. And I look, I've asked it before. Oh, I've I think it's valid. I've asked it before of athletes too. It's completely unfair. It's like saying, "Who do you love more, your mom or your wife?" You can never win that argument. Like whatever you say, you are going to be wrong. Who do you love more, your mom or your wife? You're going to be wrong. Who do you love more, your country or the group that pays you millions of dollars? So you're screwed either way. But that said, I'm not mad that Luka Doncic said that a month ago, and I'm not mad that it appears that it bore out that way today with his emotion. And if he truly feels that way, I'm not mad at him either. I mean, if he wins an NBA title, he helps Mavericks fans and he helps his own personal brand. But if Luca were to win a gold medal with Slovenia, now even if he helps him get the bronze, he'll help grow the sport in an entire country, an entire country that only has 2 million people. That's a pretty powerful motivator to me. Like, there have been 13 NBA players all time from Slovenia. 13, that's it. If Luca were to do great things internationally, it would start a basketball craze revolution there, and it would be, a, it would be the thing Slovenia needs to continue to get on par with the rest of Europe. Like, kind of similar to the 99 U.S. Women's World Cup team here that, you know, started soccer, the revolution on the women's side in the U.S. Like, you need a catalyst. And Luka being great internationally would be the catalyst for Slovenia. Look what Yao Ming did for basketball in China. Look what the Raptors winning a title done for basketball in Canada. When a whole country has something or someone to rally behind, they do and the sport can really grow from that. Like, as far as Luke is concerned, playing in the NBA, that's a job. That's business. Business can be good for Luca, but playing for your country, that's heart. And heart matters more than wallet. So I'm not mad that Luca feels this way. But, Jack, I know you want to get in. Yep. That said, if Jason Tatum said it, if a Celtics player said it, if the best Celtics player said it, I think I'd have a different reaction. I'm okay with Luca saying that. I'm okay with Luca feeling that. But if it was an American player for my team, I think I wouldn't be as okay with it. And I know that that's wrong. And I know that that makes me a hypocrite. No, you're you're not wrong. First of all, I agree with you. I think. Are you okay with Luca saying it? A hundred percent. Hundred percent. So it's different for you when it's an American player. Oh yeah. I mean. As Americans, we were, we're expected to be the best at the sport we invented. And so it would make sense that it's just, it's just, it would, it's just kind of an expectation that the United States would win the gold medal. Where the Olympics is concerned is that it is the greatest sporting of single organized sporting event in the history of the universe because it happens only every four years. Simone Biles will likely not compete in the next Olympics. Yeah. And in, in, in four years, right? So it is the greatest show in, in in athletics in the world. Okay. But it's like that for swimming, gymnastics, rowing, the individuals' events. And rowing is a team sport. I get it. You get, the, but 
for basketball, the greatest pinnacle against the best competition is winning an NBA title. So for Jason Tatum, an American, the 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 height. But of wouldn't his that mean the be... same thing for Luca though? That's why I'm saying we, you and I now we're both hypocrites. We're we both are. hypocrites, but and for... I think, but I think we've been conditioned to be hypocrites. Okay, eight hundred two five eight five thirty twenty six. I'm okay with Luka Doncic saying country matters more than the NBA, but I don't think I would be okay if Jason Tatum said that. Look. I, I want Team USA to win the gold medal. I'll take pride in it if they do. I want the players who are there to care about it. I want mm-hmm. Jason Tatum to value it. That's why he's there. But I think I want most of them to care more about the NBA, NBA title than Olympic gold. And the reason why is because the NBA in this country, to your point, is the pinnacle of basketball. And it matters most to the players. And we as fans have been conditioned to think that the league matters more than international play. We see our favorite players play for our favorite teams way more than they'd play internationally, so we rank that first in our minds. And the team championship will carry me a lot further than a gold medal. When it comes to my memories, a team championship for my favorite team will always trump a team championship from from Team USA. And again, that's probably wrong, and I'm acknowledging that. But Red Sox winning would mean more than Team USA Baseball winning. Jason Tatum leading the Celtics to a title would mean more than him leading Team USA to a gold medal. So the reason why we're going just, to justify Luca's comments, Luca's an international player. And for him, the pinnacle of basketball, playing basketball in America as an international player, the ultimate goal for him is to be the best in the world. Not the best against the best competition. His goal is to be the best in the world. And for him to prove that, he's got to go get the gold medal. Also, he has the whole country pride because he is an outsider coming into America where he's already a top three player in the league. His goal right now should be the best to be the best player in the world. And for him, if he views that as being an Olympic champion, then good for him. When the Spurs had their dynasty, do you think basketball in Spain... Was at an all-time high in popularity? I think so. It wasn't because that they were they were competing in the Olympics. It was because they had Manu Ginobili. He's from Argentina, but that's okay. Well, they, they had a, <laughs> who's the guy that they had from Spain? They had Tony Parker from Tony. France. They had Ginobili from uh, from Argentina. But nonetheless, they Pau Gasol, who's I from Spain. But yes, Pau Gasol, um, thank you. Look, I, I think there's an element of what you're saying is true. Like in the U.S., the path is high school to college to the NBA. That's what matters to people. In Europe, the national team is the goal. And these guys grow up aspiring to get to the national team, and then they stay on the national team for a long time. Luka Doncic first played with the Slovenian national team at 14 years old. And he was the MVP, wasn't he? The international game traditionally just matters more to international players. Like, in the U.S., it's something extra to do. In international minds, it is the thing to do. So... That's why it's justified. I, I, I think we as Americans have been conditioned to think that the league matters more than the country. And, and look, I think we, the media, are partially guilty for this, too, because we don't include people's Olympic resumes ever in their resumes. Carmelo Anthony has three gold medals, and nobody cares. They only want to care about his NBA titles or lack thereof. LeBron James will never catch Michael Jordan because he doesn't have the NBA titles that Jordan does. He's got three gold medals, too, which is more than Michael has, and nobody cares. So um, I think but we all- as fans have been conditioned to think this way, and 
again, and and Tatum, bringing it back to our guy, Tatum gets more out of the NBA than he does the international game. So like, I want his primary goal to be on that. I love that he wants both. I love that he's playing, but Luca, I think, you know, gets more out of being on the world stage. Tatum, I think, gets more out of just being in the NBA. Yeah, and, and that's why it's justified. And I guess also like. I know that Tatum has an NBA team being built around him and being built for him. So considering he's the centerpiece of the Celtics, I want him to attack, you know, attack his career like, hey, I need to do everything for the Celtics who made me the centerpiece. Luka is the centerpiece, yes, of the Mavericks, but also of the entire country in Slovenia. So I get that it means more to him there. I guess... I'd probably be feel different. Like if you told me a player had a military background, no matter what level of player they were or um, what team they played for, I'd, I'd instantly say Team USA should matter more to them. Like if you had a military background, I'd, I'd write it off and say, okay, Team USA can mean more to you than the Denver Nuggets yeah. or whatever or the Portland Trailblazers. But, but with with Tatum, yeah, I think it's hypocritical. But I I, I want the Celtics to mean more to him. Everyone in Slovenia, though, a Dallas Mavericks fan. Yes. And they will. And once the Dallas Mavericks make it to the NBA Finals with Luka Doncic, the game and the the basketball game in Slovenia will will skyrocket. If and look, if they win the bronze medal, and that was a great game, if they beat Australia for the bronze medal, that will do a lot. I mean, Slovenia has two million people. That's it. You can't fault the guy for caring. So, it's the Brady Farkas show here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. All right, Jack, we do it every single day. Let's get two crazy Twitter takes. The Internet, it's a really weird place. Where'd you hear that? The Internet. And you believed it? Yeah. They can't put anything on the Internet that isn't true. Where'd you hear that? The The Internet. Internet. It's time for crazy Twitter takes on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. All right, the Red Sox have lost six of seven. And on social media, I've been seeing a sarcastic hashtag going around. Thank you, Heim, a.k.a. Thanks, Heim, for not doing enough for the Red Sox. And you today on this show said that you're mad at Heim Bloom for not doing enough of the trade deadline. So I guess my question is, the crazy Twitter take is really that the trade deadline and Heim Bloom broke the Red Sox. The Red Sox are broken since the trade deadline, and you all are blaming Heim Bloom for it. And to me... That is a gross overreaction to Haim Bloom, and it's irresponsible to place that kind of blame on him. Because this same team that Haim Bloom assembled went out and was in first place for three and a half months. And one week happens, and you're willing to go and blame Haim Bloom for the entire season. And by the way, the teams the Red Sox just lost to were the Rays and the Tigers. And outside of one Nelson Cruz acquisition, those teams didn't really do much at the trade deadline. So it's not like, oh, my God, we just lost to the Astros. And did you see what all that they did and we did nothing? Or, oh, my God, we just lost to the Yankees. Did you see what they did and we did nothing? You lost to other teams that were largely inactive. So it's not like the trade deadline buoyed up these other teams and you did nothing. You just lost mm-hmm. to teams because you're playing poorly. Ian Bloom put together a team that played great for three and a half months. It's not his fault that the team played poorly for seven days. Well, here's why. Everyone else around the Sox got better. You say that, oh, they didn't do, there wasn't a whole lot. Well, Nelson Cruz is more than the Red Sox did, because Kyle Schwarber's not going to be ready for two weeks, and they got two bum bullpen Did Nelson arms. Cruz beat the Red Sox this weekend? 
Single-handedly, no. Okay. No, but he was in that lineup. If they get beat by Toronto and Barrios shoves this weekend, we can have this conversation again on Monday. Okay. But well, if Boston had gone out and gotten somebody that helps them right now, like if they get a Max Scherzer type, not Max Scherzer, but a Max Scherzer type, do they drop two or three to the Tigers? Do they get swept by the Rays? No, they don't. They Because Heim didn't go and make this team better a week ago, it has this dark, looming cloud over the clubhouse, which has caused the entire fan base and the team to feel like, okay, we've, we're in a pickle. But see, that's problematic. And shame on the Red Sox if that's really true. Shame on the Red Sox players and their coaching staff, because this team is a veteran team. It's a team full of world champions, a team full of guys that have been to the playoffs, a team full of guys that have been in the league for five, six, seven, eight years. These guys are veteran players. This is not a team full of 23-year-olds trying to figure out their way. This is a team full of veterans and champions. They know that they have a job to do, and they know that they can do it regardless of what was or wasn't done at the trade deadline. If the team is broken because of a lack of huge moves at the deadline, then that falls on team leadership. And I look right at Alex Cora, and I look right at Xander Bogarts, and I look right at Christian Vasquez, and Chris Sale, and Matt Barnes, and the veteran leadership group around this team. I hope that that's not the case. I hope this is just a stretch of bad baseball. But if you're telling me the team was broken by what happened at the trade deadline, that's on a whole lot more people than High and Bloom because the veterans on this team never should have let that happen. The message should have been, hey, Xander Bogarts walks into the clubhouse and says, look, fine, we didn't do a lot at the deadline. We Let's prove High and Bloom right because this team, this group, has been in first place for three and a half months. We didn't need all the help that everybody else thought we needed. We can do it here because we've been doing it here all along. That should have been the message coming from the veteran leadership group and the coaching staff. And if it wasn't, that's a failure on them and not on Bloom. I'll tell you this, okay? I'm a Mariners fan. We all know that. It's a different situation. I get it. The Mariners traded away their closer. And everyone, the the team went to the papers and said, we're in a playoff race. How could ownership undercut us like this? They went to the papers, and there was a huge falling out about it. And they lost their next two games to the Astros as a result. They then went on the road, and they won two of three in Texas. And then they won, no, one of three in Texas. They just beat the Rays two of three in Tampa. Thank you, by the way. A team that is not as good as the Red Sox, who was more mad than the Red Sox, overcame it and went on the road and beat Tampa two out of three. So don't tell me that it can't be done even if you've got hurt feelings. It can't. Well, it's... It's not the, the leadership's fault if they're being force-fed a team that you have all year been calling broken up until about a week ago. You said that the Red Sox have been yes, and lucky. I, you said that they have they were going to finish in fourth because it was all going to catch up to them. And eventually it is. And now I'm going to end up being right all year, changing my mind, <laughs> and, and then I'm going to be back, wrong. We're going back to the old intro tomorrow. I'm <laughs> listening tomorrow. If you don't play the old intro, I'm deleting the old one, and you're never going to find it. <laughs> but if, the, if Heim Bloom believed in this team, he would have gone out and he would have gotten the Jose Barrios, the Max Scherzer, the John Lester, whatever it takes for this team to get to postseason baseball in a driving position. Right now, they're not. It's interesting you say that. Uh, Go back to a clip we heard on Tuesday together from Aaron Judge of the Yankees. Okay, Uh They asked Aaron Judge about all the moves that team made. Go ahead. Play what Judge said. 
for the Yankees. You know, this is, this is what we do. You know, I had no no doubt in my mind that I knew we were going to make some moves or do something. You know, we're always in. It doesn't matter. You know, how many games back we are. There's still a lot of games left to be played. You know, I've seen, you know, especially this year, so many different things happen in the game. You know, you're never out of it. Like I said, we're the New York Yankees. You know, we're always in it no matter what. And, that's the mindset Heim needs to have. So I was going to ask you that. When you hear that, do you walk away wishing the Red Sox were that way? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I wish they were that way. Obviously, I want Heim to succeed and build for the future and build now, but it's not possible. He has to build. For, there has to be a sense of urgency at some point. And if Heim doesn't emit that sense of urgency from the top, then it trickles down, and that's where the faltering leadership comes into place, Brady. That's where the Xander Bogarts are like, they're caught with their hands up, and they're like, look, man, I don't know what happened. Clearly the, clearly the top doesn't believe in us, so why are we even here? Why look, are we here? Haven't we seen this before, though? You say, oh, I wish the Red Sox were that way. Haven't we seen that before with Dave Dombrowski? Yeah, and they won and, championships. And we fired Dave Dombrowski for the wreckage that was left behind. Okay, you're lucky the Red Sox won the championship in 2018, because if they lucky, didn't... They the best team in baseball. If they didn't, they'd look like the Tigers. Okay, the Tigers under Dave Dombrowski, multiple ALCSs, huge payroll, Verlander, Scherzer, Miguel Cabrera, huge moves, never won the World Series. And as a result, they got expensive, they got old, they got hurt, and they're left with the team that we saw today, six games under 500, and that's a drastic improvement from what we've seen for the last three years. So the fact that the Red Sox won, it does justify all that. But we've seen this before, and the result of going all in at the level you want to is... Sure, you won it in 18, but you saw what happened in 19, failure. You saw what happened in 20, failure. We've Heim seen this team. We've seen, with this, we've seen this with the Yankees for years, where they make a move, and then they pay for it. Bloated salaries, aging players. Even they spent years trying to get out of that. I like what Hyam Bloom was doing. And ultimately, here's the thing that bothers me about Red Sox fans the most, okay? Where is the grace period for this team at all? They won two seasons ago. That should tide you over a bit to get your organization Man, this in a position Boston. to do the right things. This is Boston. We are always expecting greatness. You should always. Al you sh there should be enough of a grace period where you let the guy, hey, we won. Now let's get our house in order so we can go win a bunch more. If this were the Pittsburgh Pirates, if this were the Kansas City Royals, well, actually they won. So if this were the Mets. <laughs> like, if I'm a Mets fan, then I'd say sure. Blow every farm system we have out. Spend every dollar we have. Let's get one. The Red Sox. They just got the one, and they've got a whole lot more. They don't need to be desperate. They don't need to be the, the best team in baseball and go for it this year? The Yankees make moves like they did because they're desperate. The Yankees signed Carl Pavano and A.J. Burnett and all these other guys that they signed in the past because they're desperate. And the Red Sox are not desperate. That is why High and Bloom can have the discipline to do or not do what he is doing with the Red Sox. Look. We blew out every, we, we, we went way too long. So here's what's going to happen. Jack, the, the last commercial break is it. So we're saying goodbye here in 30 seconds. So here's what's happening. Full show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Go subscribe to it there. Look for the Brady Farkas show. Kelsey Woodard from Thunder Road uh, joined us. She's the uh, driver in the Flying Tigers division. She's going for the Triple Crown tonight. That interview is available on the podcast channel as well. Speaking of Thunder Road, we will have Thunder Road coverage live just after 8 o'clock. Our own Lee Cattell will be at the nation's site of excitement. And until then, Dinner Jazz with John Wilson is next right here on WDEV AM and FM.